I want to invite you to bow your heads with me today as we go to the message, Protestants Speak. Protestants Speak. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you that the knowledge that is available today is not just information to be imbibed and to wonder or marvel at, but you did say in the end, knowledge will increase. We do pray, Lord, that the knowledge communicated here today will lead someone to a deeper investigation, a deeper searching of an issue that is going to confront every woman, man, boy, and girl. Every government on this planet will one day have to answer. Every person alive today and those alive when Jesus returns will be on only one of two categories. And we pray that we can make a conscious decision in light of the soon coming of our Savior to be on the right side. Take this message now and find fertile soil, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Protestants speak. It happened on August 6, 1945. President Harry Truman was in office and the war with Japan was underway. At that time, we were not buying cars from Japan. There were no Toyotas, no Land Cruisers, no products from Japan at all were coming into America because frankly, we were not on speaking terms with that country. It's quite a different world today. But many appeals had been made to the Japanese emperor to stop warring with America and its allies. And those repeated appeals were rejected like a pharaoh closing his ears to the voice of God. And God sent plague after plague after plague after plague on Egypt with the continuous message, let my people go. And you know the rest of the story. They left under the mighty delivering hand of God and on the reluctant table of Pharaoh. And I believe that anyone who gets to the place where the appeal of God is, is ignored and not received, they will come one day to a place of regret rather than a place of rejoicing. President Harry Truman told his troops to prepare thousands and thousands of leaflets and take cargo planes and drop these leaflets over the major cities of Japan. It was called the leaflet dropping of August 6, 1945. In that appeal to the Japanese people, he wrote the following words. Because your military leaders have rejected the 13-part surrender declaration, Two momentous events have occurred in the last few days. He further said the Soviet Union, because of this rejection on the part of your military, we have notified your ambassador that it has declared war on your nation. Thus, all powerful countries of the world are now at war against you. Japan decided to take on the world. But he continued, also because of your leader's refusal 
to accept the surrender declaration that would enable Japan to honorably end this useless war, we have employed our atomic bomb. One was called the H-bomb, the other one was called Fat Baby. One on Nagasaki, one on Hiroshima. You know the story. But he continued. A single one of your newly developed atomic bombs is actually the equivalent in explosive power to what 2,000 of our giant B-29 bombs could have carried on a single mission. Then he says, before we use this bomb again and again to destroy every resource of the military by which they are prolonging this useless war, he said, petition your emperor now to end the war. Our president has outlined for you the 13 consequences of an honorable surrender. Now, we urge you to accept these, these consequences and begin to work on building a new, better, and peace-loving Japan. And you know what happened next. The emperor did not surrender, and these bombs were dropped. Hiroshima and Nagasaki forever stained the pages of history as you've seen those horrible sights of people running, their, their clothing ripped from them, houses and buildings flattened because they refused to accept a peaceful surrender. I want to take this story and bend it a little bit because I say today we are living at a day and age where heaven is dropping the leaflets of truth around the world, saying that your adversary has refused to surrender. And because he doesn't accept the conditions of a peaceful surrender, these attacks will be frequent and continuous. And the only purpose of it is that he will eventually realize that God is serious about freeing his people. So today, under the message, Protestants speak, the intention of this was, uh, I'll bring it out even further, as we began the series, and I'll talk about two instances as we get specifically in the message. But as we began the series in March, following the rise of COVID-19, I began to notice people responding to what we have been preaching here. People responding from different parts of the world, different parts of the country, different denominations, people that are saying, for the first time, my eyes are open. I didn't know this. And I'm saying today, when we have in our possession the truth that is found in God's word, it is time for the people of God, the military of heaven, to start dropping the leaflets of truth that somebody could receive it and be a part of that army of free individuals. God has given us a message. We cannot wait. We got to keep dropping these leaflets to hold back and rescue some from the coming destruction that God knows is imminent to planet Earth. He doesn't want to drop it, but there are plagues coming in the future. Upon the finally impenitent, those who refuse to appeal to the voice of God, but tucked in scripture, I was able to find some words of encouragement. 
Because I've met people from different walks of life, different, different denominations, pastors that I believe that are honestly uh, misunderstanding what is the Bible's stand on certain t teachings. It began in California when I met a young man who invited me to be on his program, R.C. House Jr. And the first topic was Sabbath versus Sunday. And as a Sunday pastor, he honestly did not understand the Bible Sabbath. And he invited me. I invited Pastor Doug Batchelor to be on my, on my um, panel. And Alan Reinach, two Jewish Adventists. <laughs> and they invited us to be on their program. On one side of the table, he had his evangelical pastors. He was the moderator. And on the other side, I was there, Pastor Doug Batchelor and Alan Reinach, who is a part of Religious Liberty there in Washington, D.C. And he said today, as the camera came on, he said, today we are going to be discussing Sabbath versus Sunday. And he said, now I want you to understand I'm a Sunday-keeping pastor, but today we want to find out what the Bible says. We don't want to do it because Grandma said it or Grandma did it. We don't want to do it because our church does it. We don't want to do it because it's the popular thing. We want a thus saith the Lord. And at that point, he was sure that he had a solid panel, but what he didn't know, that God had some bombs in his word that he was going to about to drop. Come on, somebody say amen. And so there we were. We had on suits, but what he did not know, under those suits we had on military garb, soldiers of the cross. And I would say to you, at the half-hour mark in that program, he stood up from his seat and came around and leaned over on the desk, and he said to his two compadres, come on, brethren, they're killing us. And then he continued in the program for the next half hour. At the end of the hour, his, the phones at that network went crazy. His father, who was a, uh, one on the staff of Benny Hinn, called him and asked him, did you lose your mind? How dare you have a, have a discussion about the Sabbath versus Sunday on our network? But he was honest. He just did not know. And we remained friends until we moved out of California. He invited me back on several occasions on issues that we did have in common. He invited Pastor Doug Batchelor back. He invited Alan Reinick back. He invited us back to defend doctrinal positions that we had in common. And he sat there proudly watching as we stood on the plain, thus saith the Lord. So today, I want to make it very clear in the very beginning. The purpose of this message is not to say that you are not a sheep of the shepherd who is Christ Jesus. But the purpose of this message today is to communicate exactly what Jesus said in John 10 and verse 16. And it's on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. He said, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Today, the heart of Jesus still pulsates. Today, Jesus is looking into the arena of the thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations, more than 30,000 denominations claiming a connection to Christ. That's just in the Christian world. That's not counting the Muslim world or the Buddhist or the 
the agnostic and atheistic world. That's just counting the Christian world. And Jesus is saying, in those thousands and thousands and thousands of, and thousands are my sheep. But they are not where I want them to be. But I'm going to keep speaking. And if they're listening for my voice, they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And some of you that are here today used to be where the Lord knew you were. But by listening to the voice of God, you are now where the Lord wants you to be. Can you say amen? And there are those of you watching today that understand this passage very well. You were raised in a particular church. You loved the Lord all your life. As I remember speaking to one young lady the Sabbath before I had a baptism in Antioch, California, a young lady who was a member of the, uh, of the Church of God in Christ, and she said, Pastor, I'm concerned. My husband wants to join your church. At the beginning of the Revelation seminar, he didn't attend any church. But now she said, I'm concerned he wants to join your church. And I said, what's the concern? She says, you keep the Sabbath and I don't. And I said, well, what's the problem? She says, he wants to join your church. And pastor, I've loved the Lord all my life. Do you think I'm going to be lost if I don't honor the Sabbath? And I said, that's not a question that I need to answer. But that's a question that you need to let the Lord answer. He says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Your leaders have told you, forget it. If you listen to man more than you listen to God, what do you think the outcome would be? And she said, but I love the Lord. I said, that's why the Lord allowed the message of the truth of the Sabbath to come to you at this time in your life. Are you going to be baptized with your husband? She said, I don't know. And to cut the long story short, I was making a baptismal certificates as I had a conversation with her on a Friday night. My wife walked into my office and she said, did she say yes? I said, no, she didn't say yes, but she's going to. And that Sabbath morning, when we broke early from Sabbath school class to get the baptismal candidates ready, there her husband, who had no church affiliation, didn't even go to church, so excited about his baptism. His wife stood up and said to me, Pastor, Pastor, I'm going to get baptized today with my husband. And I open my Bible and pull out the baptismal certificate and said, I know. <laughs> you see, I believe that when you love the Lord, when you love the Lord, I'm going to say that again, when you truly love the Lord, you will hear his voice and you will follow him. What do you say? When you have a love relationship for the Lord, his eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. I believe that the Lord has loyal people in other denominations, but some of them have not yet received the leaflets that heaven is dropping. And this is the hour that God is calling on pastors like me and other Adventist pastors to get in that plane and say to them, there's some bombs coming in the future, but you can surrender. You can be a part of those that can flee the destruction to come. And I forgot to tell you, at the end of that letter, these three words were there. These three words were there at the end of that letter. Evacuate your cities. They told them what cities the bombs would be dropped on. And they said, in the event that your leader doesn't surrender, evacuate your cities. What they were saying is, we don't want to hurt you. We have no qualm with you. But your leader has taken a defiant stance. I want to say today, 
God has no qualms with the children of the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And today, as we hear the message, I am saying in lockstep with Christ that he's calling his sheep today to hear his voice and to evacuate the wrong city. Babylon is fallen, the wrong city, so that you can be a part of the right city, the new Jerusalem. When I read that text, one of the first questions came to my mind are, is, why are the sheep of Jesus in the wrong fold? How did they end up where Jesus did not lead them? Now, before we go to the Bible to get the answers that are going to come later in the message, let's look at the book of Genesis to see the blueprint of deception. Because I believe also that many people are where they are, not just because they are following the tradition of their loved ones or their mom and dad or the grandmother and grandfather, or not just, just because they were raised in that church, but I believe there's another side of the story. And Jesus revealed that himself. He said, there are people that are going to be lied to. They're going to be deceived. There is going to be a religious sleight of hand, an exchanging of God's words for the dictates of an enemy, and before they know it, they're going to lose their home and end up where God never intended for them to be. The book of Genesis reveals the blueprint of deception. When you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 9 to 11, let's look at that together, you'll discover that when you look at that, you'll, you'll see that there are two questions that are there, that these questions reveal the blueprint of deception. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9. After the fall of Adam and Eve, the Bible says, Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him. What did he say to him? Let's, read, let's say those words together. What did he say? Where are you? Where are you? So he said, that as Adam responded, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said to him, let's say those next three words together. What are they? Who told you? First one, where are you? Second one, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Today, let me wrap this up together. Today, there's a tree that is not from God. It's a tree of darkness the trees of lies, the trees of tradition, the trees of deception, the trees of preference, the trees of religion over truth, the trees of I prefer rather than God said. Adam found himself in a predicament because Eve found herself at the tree of compromise. When you look at those two questions, the first one is where are you? In other words, how did you end up where you are, and the second one is, who told you? In other words, who have you been listening to? And I could suggest today, the impact that Satan had on Adam and Eve is the same impact that he has had on the majority of Christians today. Today, 
the majority of Christians are not where the Lord desires them to be because they are not listening to him. And the very same question that the Lord posed to Adam and Eve, where are you and who told you, are the same two questions that is being posed to the world today. Where are you and who told you? Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, where are you? How did you get there? And who told you that that's the fold you need to be a part of? And as William Shakespeare so wonderfully said, he understands that there's something about destination. You heard William Shakespeare's famous line, friends, Romans, and countrymen, come on together, lend me your ear. Now, why did he say that? Because where we end up, is affected by who we listen to. Before anyone can move our feet, they have to first get access to our ear. Satan knows this very well. The same method he used to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden is the same method he's going to use to orchestrate that final deception. He's going to gain access to the mind of men through their ears so he can affect the feet, so they'll end up where God never intended for them to be. Revelation says this is going to happen. Notice Revelation. It says here, Revelation chapter 17 and verse 13. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to whom? To the beast. Why will they, why will they give their power and authority to the beast? Because that's who they've been listening to. That is who has their ear. That is the one that's speaking. That is the one that they're listening to. Remember in the book of Daniel, when Daniel talked about the rise of Rome, he described Rome as a, a horn with a mouth speaking great things. In other words, what happened during the Dark Ages is Rome was speaking, and the peasants and the people of that region in Europe were listening to this little horn with a big mouth. And I say again, when we listen to a voice other than the voice of God, we will eventually end up where God doesn't want us to be. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold. That's the words of Jesus. That's not my words. That's not me saying, well, you need to join my church. That's the word of Jesus. And he describes exactly who that fold is because if you are where the devil is angry for you being there, then you know that that is the fold that you should be a part of. Am I saying it correctly? If where you are makes the devil angry, then you are, you are in the fold that the Lord wants you to be in. And Revelation 12 and verse 17 made it very clear that the devil is angry with those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So if you by the grace of Christ, is living in harmony with the Ten Commandments of God, including the Fourth Commandment, which is the Bible Sabbath. The devil is angry with you because you are what he doesn't want you to be. But I tell you, I'd rather have the devil angry with me than God upset with me. Because one has a short time, the, uh, the other has nothing but time. But the Bible is telling us that there's going to be a unifying of minds. And the devil is using these multiple thousands of movements to marshal people 
the battle of the great day of God Almighty is going to be distilled down into whatever, you, whatever your ism is, it's going to be distilled into two categories, those on God's side and those on Satan's side. It's going to be distilled whether you're atheist or agnostic, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever you may be, whatever your ism, whatever your Christian denomination, if we don't listen to a thus saith the Lord, every one of us is going to melt down into one category or the other, either the seal of God or, unfortunately, the mark of the beast. And when the Bible talks about having one mind, I must also say this, only those whose minds are in harmony with Christ will be safeguarded against the final deception that will take the world by storm. Only those whose minds are in harmony with the mind of Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul said the words that he did in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Notice what he said in Philippians 2 and verse 5. He said, let this, what's the next word? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let me suggest to you today, if you want the mind of Christ to be in your mind or to take the place of your mind, you got to read the word of God. To get the word of God into the mind of man, David said it so wonderfully, thy word have I hid where? In my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Why is that so significant? Because the final movement in the world is going to be when the sins of Babylon have reached their limit, what went up will come down. That great system of deception that has been built to pull humanity into a dark place religiously is going to come crumbling down, but only those who have the mind of Christ is going to stand in this last great conflict. You know, Satan knows... Satan knows that it is nearly impossible to think one way and worship another. I'm going to say that again. He knows that the way you worship is completely affected by the way you think. He knows that. The way you live is affected by the way you think. That's why in this, in this age of uh, multimedia, we have to condition our minds to say, I'm not going to let that in my mind because we know that what comes into our minds gets acted out into our lives. Am I telling the truth? By beholding, what happens? We become changed. Either we're being changed into the glory of God or we're being changed into the corruptible nature of fallen man. And the devil knows that very well. That's why this is the age of bombardment. He doesn't give us time to think. And for that reason alone, we've got to make our own time to think. Right, honey? We've got to make decisions about our own time. What troubles me more than anything else is that we all have 24 hours in a day. How many hours? 23 hours and 56 minutes, but they round it off to 24. We all have the same amount of time in a day. We all have the same amount of time in a day. You don't have more than I have, Bob. I don't have more than you have. For that reason, we ought to be not just stewards of, of money or stewards of talents or stewards of, of ability, but we need to be stewards of our time so that the world doesn't take it all and God is not locked out of our time. As the hymn goes, Take time to be holy. God, take time to be holy. 
The time that you take to mold the way you think will affect the way you worship. That's why the devil came after Eve and Adam. He knew that by affecting the way they think, it will affect the way they worship. And if he can lead two perfect beings into denying God, what chances do we have without the mind of Christ? So today, we're going to talk about Protestants speak. Protestants are in a place, many of those sincere Christians are at a place that the Lord never intended for them to be. But they are there because somebody is influencing the mind. And the devil knows that by influencing the mind, he will inevitably and indelibly affect the way they worship. But now let's add another component to that. The devil has had 6,000 years, Rosemary, 6,000 years to come up with ingenious methods to affect the way that we think. His craft of deception is 6,000 years in practice. Now, let me tell you something. If I was, if I was writing songs for 6,000 years, I'd be a good songwriter by now. Am I right? If I was building houses for 6,000 years, you would want me to build your house because I'd know every nook and cranny of how that house should or should not be built. The devil has been deceiving for 6,000 years. But even deeper than that, not only is he the master of deception, but, but, but he has employees. He's got employees working for him. He's got one third of the heavenly host that lost their estate in the kingdom. These are, these are unclean spirits roaming the earth in the congressional halls trying to influence men. In the form of men, they try to push through legislation, but I praise the Lord that in the final result, God is still holding back the winds until his work is done. But Satan has employees. And the Apostle Paul tells us that we ought to be aware that the devil has employees. Because once again, the way we think affects the way we worship. And the devil has taken employees and said, well, now... I got employees in the music world, but that's too obvious. I have employees in the marijuana world, but Christians don't care about marijuana. I have employees in the filth world of the dark movies and the pornography and the smut that's on the Internet. They're not going to fall for that. Unfortunately, some have. I've got people employed in all different crafts of life, and on many of those planes, Christians are not concerned about that. So I need to find a way to, to employ some of my demons and my earthly workers to gain access to the minds of those that I want to end up in the wrong fold. And the Apostle Paul reveals how he does that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul, when he said the mystery of iniquity is already at work, he said, it's already happening in our day. The New Testament church barely was born then Satan put his employees into action, trying to divide and dissect the New Testament church. The Apostle Paul speaks about these employees. He says, for such are what? False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into what? Apostles of Christ. But he goes on and says, and no wonder. Or the King James says, and no marvel. In other words, don't be shocked. For Satan himself 
transforms himself into an angel of light. That's why when people say they died and went toward the light, the Bible says that God dwells in a light which no man has seen nor can see and no one has approached unto. So if you said you died and went toward the light, I'd like to suggest to you this is the light you saw because we're not going to see the light of glory until Jesus comes back. But Satan has deceitful workers like game hunters hiding behind shrubbery and foliage like deer hunters. You notice something here in Thompsonville. We've got some smart deer. I don't know if you noticed that. For whatever reason, I think the deer in Thompsonville have on their iPhones when hunting season begins and when it ends. Because I notice when hunting season begins, we have more deer in our yard than at other times of the year. You know why? Because they know we ain't going to shoot them. They know the safe places. They know where to, go, where to go. Just like when Thanksgiving comes, you got to look. When Thanksgiving comes in November, look around Thompsonville. There are turkeys on New Lake Road because they know they're safe. Come on, somebody say that. They're on Stephen Branch Road because they know nobody on that road is going to kill them. They know where to hide. The devil has, like game hunters, he's got men hiding behind the shrubbery and foliage as deceitful workers. But they're not hiding behind the shrubbery and foliage. They're hiding in pulpits, behind religious jargon, intentionally hiding the truth. But this is not new to God. God knew this was the case. This did not just happen in the New Testament. This also happened in the Old Testament. This is what led the ancient Israelites to eventually reject Christ. Satan had been working on them through prophets that God never endorsed and shepherds that God never stood behind. Notice in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 1, the Bible tells us about how the devil works. He's been using the same tactics from the Garden of Eden, and how he began is how exactly it's going to end. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and, and scatter the sheep of, what's the last two words? My pasture. Jesus has had a pasture in the Old Testament. He's got a pasture in the New Testament. He's always seen those who are needlessly being deceived and scattered. He doesn't disconnect himself from those who are being deceived. i got to say that again. Because a lot of times we meet people that don't believe like us, and we think somehow that God has abandoned them. He has not. He says, the ones that he has an issue with are the shepherds. Woe unto the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. But the scenario can change if he goes directly to the sheep, and then the sheep rejects the chief shepherd. But right now he says, the reason why my people are not where they should be is because they are shepherds that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. How do they do that? Look at verse 21 of Jeremiah 23. This is how they do it. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. <laughs> that was in the Old Testament. 
If that was in the Old Testament, Jesus warned that many false Christs and false prophets will arise and will deceive many. Let me ask you a question. I don't like to take surveys, but are we living in the days of the end? And exactly what Jesus said will exist in the time of the end is exactly what's happening today. Many false prophets are arising in the name of Jesus. And Revelation says they're showing marvelous things. They're doing amazing miracles. But I haven't sent them. I was talking to a good friend of mine this week who's a pastor of a different denomination as I was online with about 40 or so clergy. And at the end of the conversation, we had a, a one-to-one off-the-air conversation. And he said, Pastor Lomakang, he said, I want to tell you, out of all those pastors that are on there, identif I identify with you the most. We don't even have the same doctrinal beliefs in most categories. But he, but he said this, which moved my heart. He said, for whatever reason, God sent you into my life. And I'm going to stick around until the Lord makes it clear why he sent you into my life. Come on, say amen to that. So we have this relationship. We can talk to each other clearly about prophecy, clearly about what's happening in the Christian world. And he even said to me now, he said, many of the pastors on that, on that feed were, were, were dominionists. And I talked about that in one of my past presentations. I won't take the time to talk about that right now. But his eyes are be beginning to be cleared up. His mind is beginning to be sharpened. He's beginning to see that Satan hires false shepherds and false prophets to steal sheep from the true shepherd. But remember, but remember, I, ha I have to add this. Though the sheep are being scattered, Jesus still claims the sheep as his. I say it again. I say it again. Jesus said, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We have got to take the time that God has given to us to blanket our communities. Bob does it. In my trunk, I travel. I, had a, I have a box of material. Let me, let, me, let me appeal to those of you that know the truth. Don't walk around with an empty purse. Have leaflets with you. Have glow tracks. If you don't have them, get them in the foyer. The soldiers of the cross should never be caught in this war without some leaflets to drop on those who have been taken captive by the enemy to be deceived. In the same way that Eisenhower dropped leaflets over Japan to warn them of the coming destruction by the atomic bombs. God is saying to us today, we must do the very same thing. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Truman, thank you very much. Truman, he was a true man, by the way. But let me tell you why this message was inspired. When my wife went to the emergency room a couple of Sabbaths ago, last Sabbath, last Sabbath, the nurse came in as I was sitting there and she said to me, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. She said, of what denomination? I said, Seventh-day Adventist. Can I ask you a question, she said. I said, sure. I love questions. She says, I attend a Baptist church. 
And I asked my pastor on a number of occasions about why we don't keep the Sabbath. And he said to me, Saturday is the Bible Sabbath. However, we keep Sunday instead. That's what she told me, this nurse in the emergency room. But then she said, but that has never set well with me. There's something wrong about that. And she said, I've asked many pastors, so I'm asking you, could you explain why that's the case? Huh. <laughs> it's like, give me the last shot at the game, Danny. Give me the ball. I'd love to take that shot. <laughs> it's like, put me on the foul line, and we need one point to win. I'm going to just sharpen my eyesight. I'll pass it to you if you have a better shot. But, but I want to tell you, I, I, I immediately the Lord put on the whole armor of God, and I began to tell her the truth as it is in Jesus. I began telling her the truth, and to my surprise, she was not in a hurry. She wasn't rushing out of the emergency room saying, oh, I have other patients to tend to. She said, can I ask you another question? Can I ask you another question? Can I ask you another question? Sure. Bible study on Sabbath afternoon, that's exactly what I should be doing. In the hospital, I don't care where it happens, as long as I can do it. And the Lord, I had my backpack. I had in there my three angels' messages in summary. In my car, I had a 3ABN magazine and another book that your friends, the Adventists. And I said, I have some more material I'm going to give to you. She said, I'm, I'll be right here. I get off soon, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go do my rounds, and I'll be right back. So she took the magazine, and then she said to me, you know what? This is the first time I've asked so many pastors. She said, this is the first time a pastor has made it clear to me about this issue of the Sabbath and the Bible. Thank you very much, she said. And she took that leaflet and put it in her side pouch of her gown there, that her nursing uh, top, and she says, and I want to tell you, I'm going to read this booklet because I'm thanking you for what you said. So I went to the car, came back with some more material, and she was waiting right there for me. And then Angie, then Angie said, you know, if I had to get sick to come to the hospital just to meet you, it was worth it. You know, God works in mysterious ways. Come on, somebody. How on a busy, busy, busy day like they had, Will they assign the very nurse to her that knows that God has given me a message for that very nurse? And that question is in her mind for that moment. And she asked me what I do. Coincidence? No. Providence. Providence, a divine appointment. So this message was inspired by the love that I share with Jesus for those that are still listening for the voice of truth. And there are many. I want to say there are many. I meet them in Walmart. I was walking down the aisle in Walmart, and I had a good friend. that He's now my friend. He's, he, I call him the camouflage man, Gary. I was answering a Bible question in Walmart. I was on the phone answering a Bible question. He was on the other side of the partition, and after I was done, he came over to me, camouflage hat, camouflage jacket, camouflage shirt, camouflage. He was camouflage all the way. He was ready for the hunting season. He said, now, Redman, I heard you. I don't mean to butt into your private conversation, but I couldn't help. I couldn't help but overhear what you were saying, and I have some Bible questions. Is this all right? And there, I was wondering, what am I going to do with 40 minutes while I'm waiting for my car to get the oil change? God gave me a 40-minute study with my good friend named Gary. And we took a picture together, and I got a good friend named Gary. 
You see, whenever you are ready, whenever you are ready, God will bring to you, Cynthia, he will put people in your path, but he's not going to put them there unless you have a love for them as he has a love for them. And they're listening. And I believe today many sincere Christians are searching, groping, inquiring, asking, knocking, and seeking for the truth. And Jesus said, if that's in fact the case, notice what he says is going to happen in John 8 and verse 32. He says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Make you free. There are people today that are free. And let me tell you something about the freedom that the truth brings. When the truth is opened up to you, it not only frees you, but it builds a wall around you so that when other voices come in the future, you can easily recognize and say, that's, that's not in the Bible. Am I telling the truth? I've had people that have accepted the truth and have gone through it. And later on, somebody from their former denomination or the pastor came to them and tried to make a second appeal. And they said, that's not in the Bible. It doesn't even hit. Error cannot penetrate a wall when that wall is made of the solid truth of a thus saith the Lord. And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Not set you free, but establish in your heart parameters whereby you'll never be deceived again. But he goes on further to say in John 8 and verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, come on, say it with me, friends, you shall be free indeed. There is no freedom like the freedom found in Jesus and his word. I want to tell you today, I'm measuring every word in my sermon. I could easily have said, there's no freedom like the freedom found in Jesus. But millions of Christians believe that. So I said, there's no freedom like the freedom found in Jesus and in his word. You get it? Because we live in this day and age where people say, well, I'm Christian. I love the Lord like you love the Lord. What's the difference? Hey, hey, wait a minute. Jesus says, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The word of God, the word of God began the world. When Jesus comes back on his thigh, is going to be written the word of God. When Jesus was being tempted by the enemy in the garden, he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so many Christians today love the Lord, but they have not based their dedication to God on what the word of God teaches. That's why the Apostle Paul, with passion, says these words to us today. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, he said, preach the word. Say it with me together. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince rebuke, exhort, and notice this, be patient with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come, and I could say the time has come, when men will not endure a sound doctrine. What's going to happen? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and the end result will be, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. I want to begin to share with you from multiple denominations 
the position that they have about the observance of the Bible Sabbath. Now, I talked about Rome, what Rome speaks and Rome says from the Catechism. I've addressed the, the eight instances of the Sabbath mentioned or Sunday mentioned in the New Testament. And we have found on both cases the Sabbath has not been abrogated. It has not been nailed to the cross. It has not been deleted. It was a perfect institution established in Eden before sin entered the world like the marriage. So if there's something wrong with the Sabbath, there's something wrong with the marriage. Well, let me tell you, as a man married 37 years, there's nothing wrong with marriage. I love my wife. I love, you love your husband, honey? Well, I love my wife. <laughs> I remember camp meeting once in Northern California on the campground. And I, I couldn't find those shirts anywhere after I saw them. There was a guy walking around campground and says, I'm in love with the pastor's wife. And there's a woman walking around campground and says, I'm in love with the pastor. And I thought, ooh. He's in love with the pastor's wife. She's in love with the pastor. And we saw them walking together. And I said, oh, it's you guys. <laughs> he was the pastor and she was his wife. I'm in love with the pastor's wife. And honey, she's in love with the pastor. There's nothing wrong with marriage. And there's nothing wrong with the Sabbath. Two perfect institutions established in a faultless, perfect, sinless environment. But the devil has done his job. And you know today, same-sex marriage, man marrying man, woman marrying woman, 129 different genders, Lord have mercy. Don't you get confused, though. I know the difference between me and my wife. Don't ever get that confused. But the world will confuse you when you swallow the wine of Babylon. Politically and religiously, there are denominations that are ordaining gay clergy. If I've ever heard of an oxymoron, it is gay clergy. I'm not being insensitive. I know it's the law of the land. But what is the law of the land when it's not in harmony with the law of God? It's not acceptable in the kingdom of God. We got to love everybody where they are, but we got to tell the truth as it is in Jesus. Not only did I get a chance to talk to this nurse in the hospital, but I got a letter in the mail that was in my mailbox right by the uplink from a, a lady who was so enthusiastic, but it didn't have her phone number. And my wife and I said, let's call this lady, find out who she is. Beautiful email. God bless you, Pastor. I watch you on 3ABN. I watch house calls. I watch Sabbath school. I watch everything on 3ABN. I just love 3ABN. And I'm praying for you. Let's call her. Found out Sister Williams. I won't give her first name. Beautiful lady down in Atlanta, Georgia. In Maryland? See, my wife remembers the details. Down in Maryland. We had, lady was exuberant. I could hear the sunshine in her voice through the phone. Eventually, we got to the question, so what, what church do you attend? Well, I'm a Baptist Christian. But I watch 3ABN all the time. And I, I love everything on 3ABN. So you know me. I mean, because you know me. So what do you think about the Sabbath? Well, I, I, I've been attending the Adventist church. I've been going to one of the local Adventist churches. But I still go on Sunday because, you know, Lord knows and he understands. <laughs> you know me. He does understand. <laughs> he sure does understand. So what is there about that you don't understand? He understands, but what don't you understand? Well, you know, I know the Lord loves us all and it doesn't really matter what we do. I said, sister, 
the Lord told you to write me because today was our day. What's your email? <laughs> you know me. So I sent an email, all those sermons, Mike. You know, the Sabbath, the change of the Sabbath, the Rome Speaks, the Sunday Controversy, Sunday Mass. I sent all those things. I said, now you go through these, and we're going to talk next week. Is it all right? And you know, I praise the Lord. She didn't send her, she didn't send her email, I mean her phone number, but I thank the Lord for the Internet. Put her name in, find out where her address was, and boom, Angie says, I got the phone number. Let's call her. I got a new friend now, Sister Williams. And she knows, she said, well, I know the Sabbath is right. I keep the Sabbath, but I go on Sunday too. And that's what appeals to me today to say to you, you might be one of those Christians who love the Lord with all your heart, but somehow it has not yet been clear as to what happened and how the Sabbath became so discombobulated and so confused. So I'm going to give a couple of references here. I say a couple. We're going to walk through a number of them today. And you're going to begin to see throughout history and how things happen. This first reference comes from a curate of the Oxford University, Reverend Sir Isaac Williams. Uh, he was side by side with the, working with the clergy there at Oxford University. He was what you might refer to the right-hand man of the vicar at the church there at Oxford University. But he put together, he called it the Sermon on the Catechism. He wrote a book called, on page 334, these are the words he says pertaining to the Sabbath. He says, we are told in Scripture that we are to keep, we are, where are we told in Scripture that we are to keep the first day at all? We are commanded to keep the seventh, but we are nowhere commanded to keep the first day. The reason why we keep the first day holy instead of the seventh is for the same reason that we observe many things, not because the Bible, but because the church. Sorry. Not because of the Bible, but because the church has enjoined them. See, we're not told in Scripture to keep the first day of the week. We keep it because the church has enjoined it. He recognized, as one of the fellows of Oxford University, that it's not in Scripture. When you are at Oxford University, you're at a level intellectually and informationally that you have to your disposal all the historical understanding and references of how things evolve, how they come into being. And Sir Isaac Williams said, it's not in the Bible. It was inserted into our practice like other things because the church has enjoined it. Another reference, Dr. Edward T. Hiscock. He was the original contributor to the Baptist Manual. In a meeting with pastors in a conference held in New York City, this conference was held on November 1893, the New York Examiner published portions of his speech about what he said concerning the Sabbath. Now, let me be mindful. The Baptist Manual doesn't say what he says about the Sabbath. The Baptist manual reflects the honoring of the first day of the week. So I'm going to show you what Dr. Hiscock, who is a contributor to the Baptist manual, but what he says outside of his published work. 
He said this to a group of pastors in a minister's conference on November 13, 1893, and it was published in the New York Examiner November 16, 1893. He said, There was and is a command to keep holy the seventh day, but that Sabbath day was not Sunday. He's saying this before a group of ministers. It will be said, however, and with some show of triumph, that the Sabbath was transferred from the seventh to the first day of the week. Where can the record of such a transaction be found? Listen to what he answers. Not in the New Testament, absolutely not. But he doesn't stop. He says, to me it seems unaccountable that Jesus, during three years, intercourse with his disciples, often conversing with them upon the Sabbath question, never alluded to any transference of the day. Also that during 40 days of his resurrection, no such thing was intimated. He continues. Of course, I quite well know that Sunday did come in use in early Christian history. But what a pity it comes branded with the mark of paganism and christened with the name of the sun god, adopted and sanctioned by the papal apostasy and bequeathed and bequeathed as a sacred legacy to Protestantism. Is that clear? He is saying, I know I contributed to the Baptist manual, and as a Baptist, I know what they believe, but let me tell you, outside of that, I know what history says. And I understand and know, as a scholar, as a Bible student, what amazes me is that he is so convicted and so convincing on his discourse in public, I wonder what kind of heat he got after this got back to the, to the Baptist leaders of which he contributed to their manual. In other words, if I said something completely different in public about my Adventist beliefs as I, as I am a proponent of from the pulpit, I'm sure that I'm going to hear from my, from my leaders. You said something completely opposite to what we teach. It doesn't publish what kind of flack he got, but in fact he made it very clear that this was something that was christened with the name of the sun god, adopted and sanctioned by the papal apostasy, and bequeathed as a, as a legacy to Protestantism, as a sacred legacy to Protestantism. And by the way, today there are many Protestants that think that the Sabbath is sacred, that Sunday is sacred and not the Bible Sabbath. Let's go now in the context of uh, uh, another contributor, Bishop William J. Seymour. Bishop William J. Seymour is a holiness preacher. When you study his background, he was one of the key contributors. You may have heard of the Azusa Street Church. It's in, it's in Southern California. It's where the Pentecostal and the charismatic movement began, the speaking in tongues movement. He was one of the reverends, as it was a bishop, that was a catapulter in getting that movement started. But he made a, 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 an astounding statement on his position concerning the Sabbath. He wrote a book called Why We Keep Sunday. 
And here's what he said. We have made the change from the seventh day to the first day, from Saturday to Sunday, on the authority of one holy Catholic apostolic church of Christ. He said, we made the change. He's not contributing the change to the Bible at all. He said, we are the ones that made that change. It's not in the Bible. So you might wonder today, how is it that people reading the Bible, and as I was talking to the nurse in the hospital, this came to me again, as I was talking to the nurse in the hospital there, at the, the, the um, right there in uh, Heartland, yeah, Heartland, I said, are you ever confused when Easter comes around? She said, what do you mean? I said, because you're taught that Sunday's a Sabbath, but it's the resurrection day. So she went like, huh? I said, exactly. It's like a dog whistle. Your head tilts. We're saying, she said, you know, that is right. It is the, the first day is the resurrection day. So how could it be the Sabbath? I said, that is the point. And that's when she lit up and she said, you know what? I never thought about that. It is this whole, it is this ideology that creeps into the church gradually. And yes, Rome has made a major contribution. But leaders of other denominations understand and know how it happened. Let's continue. Let's continue. This is the most recent. This is taken as of yesterday from the Baptist Faith and Message, the manual released in the year 2000. This is article number eight. Here's what they say about the Sabbath Sunday issue. This is, this is up to date. This is right now. They say the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that, you say, okay, they say Lord's Day, but don't forget, they point the first day of the week to the Lord's Day. We do believe that when you are one who honors the Bible Sabbath, the way you live should be commensurate with your relationship with Jesus. Amen? If we're honoring the Sabbath, treat it as a Sabbath with activities that are Sabbath-blessed. What startled me the most... This is what startled me the most after reading that. And this is, from that, this is from their manual. This is what startled me the most. Right after that, here is the passage they gave to support, their, to support their belief in the first day being the Sabbath. They quoted the, the Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, verbatim, in support of the first day of the week. Can I read it? Together, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. What day? Seventh. They use this support to support the first day. Somebody's been drinking. Now, I'm saying that on the context of Babylon, the wine of Babylon. I'm not talking about... Uh, Throwing, throwing alcohol. This is the wine of Babylon. You use a text that says seventh day, but you use it to support first day. Somebody's got to be drinking Babylon's wine. The Bible says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it, 
The Bible says, You shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your manservant, your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Why? Right back to creation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the what day? Seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and what? Hallowed it. How do you include these three passages for the support of the first day of the week? And you wonder why people, you wonder why Christians are confused. I would be confused too. If I read that, but my pastor told me we keep Sunday instead, and I read the manual, and then they had this commandment right under it, we keep Sunday, but here's the command by which we do it based on these passages, I would say, do you want me to go left or do you want me to go right? Would you please tell me because I don't understand what you're saying. No disrespect at all intended. Well, let's continue because here's another very recent article. And this, by the way, is taken from the, the Baptist Church Manual, Chapter 3, Doctrines of a Church, Article 15. And it is under the subtitle of the, of the Christian Sabbath. Here's what they presently, as of yesterday, teach. We believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day or Christian Sabbath and is to be kept sacred to religious purposes by abstaining from all secular labor and sinful recreations. By the way, let me make a point. You shouldn't be involved in sinful recreations any day of the week. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I want to put that. So should I do sinful recreations Monday? <laughs> Come on, that Sunday through Friday? <laughs> Help me out, Terry. You shouldn't be involved in sinful recreation any day of the week. I'm a drink on Tuesday, but I'm going to church on the weekend. Don't want to belittle this, but this is what's being taught. By the devout, okay, by the devout observance of all the means of grace, both private and public, and by preparation for that rest that remaineth for the people of God. Now, this was more up-to-date than the last quote I read to you from the Baptist Manual. I don't know, somebody must have tipped them off because to support what they just said, here's the only part of the Bible they included. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, bulletin. Bulletin, a little bit of editing. The Sabbath commands has 98 words, Yvonne, 98 words. Let me ask you a question. If I delete 90 of them, do you think I could change the Sabbath to mean what I want it to mean? If I delete 90 words of a direction you gave me, I guarantee you I wouldn't find your house. 90 words have been deleted. No wonder people are confused. See, the purpose of this message is not just to say that people are confused, remain that way. The purpose of this message, once again, is to echo the words of Christ. Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring. The Lord is calling them today. But we don't end there. Let's go to the American Presbyterian Board of Publications. They published this in a track called Track Number 175. And I'm amazed by this. They said, God instituted the Sabbath at the creation of man, setting apart the seventh day for the purpose and imposed its observance as a universal and perpetual moral obligation upon the race. 
We believe that. Come on, somebody say amen. So why do you go to church on Sunday? Because the Presbyterian church does not meet on Sabbath. And I thought that that was a misprint, so I kept searching. They reiterated this again onto another track, track number 118. The observance of the seventh-day Sabbath did not cease till it was abolished after the Roman Empire became Christian. They even know how the change came in. So why are you going to church on Sunday? And I'll have one more. This one I shared with my wife last night because this, honestly, I wouldn't want to be a passenger in this plane if this guy was flying it because he wouldn't know where he's going. This was today. This is as of today. Assemblies of God. And the article was entitled, Since You Work on Sunday, When Is Your Sabbath? Since You Work on Sunday, When Is Your Sabbath? Let's look at the answer. And, and, and I'm going to pause along the way. They began, once again, by quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. And this is a part of the article. I did not insert that. We just read that, so I'm just going to go past these two slides. We know what they say. But it was followed up with these comments, and here they are. And there is the reference right there. If you go to their website, you go to the article, Spring 2013, under the article, since you work on Sunday, when is your Sabbath? Here's what they say. So when is your Sabbath? Not to be confused with Sunday. And how are you doing at keeping it holy? You may be slightly indignant in response to that question. They continue. Of course, you are holy because it's your job to be holy, especially on Sunday. But they continue. Notice your job and Sunday are professionally glued together. But I asked about the Sabbath, not Sunday. Are you confused yet? Let's keep going. If you are in pastoral ministry, you work on Sunday. And since you work on Sunday, you are also violating the fourth commandment. Are you confused yet? But it doesn't end there. The command of the fourth commandment is to rest. In resting, God sanctified this special day, and they give the reference Genesis 2, verse 3, as a time for remembering his faithfulness, and in return, his people will experience restoration for the next six days. So, if you, God's spokesman, are working on Sunday, when and where is your Sabbath? Don't try to figure it out, because I, I haven't yet. That's just the tip of the article. I included this in my book, Sunday Mask. Lord, I've been praying, I've got to end this. I looked at that last night, I was telling my wife, I looked at the material containing that book, it's up to 111 pages, and I know the devil has been fighting me to finish that book. It is so revealing. This is included in that. I want to tell you, when you look at that, I would suggest to you, when you look at that, when you look at that, they ended by saying, 
uh, they ended by making a, an important statement, and I'll put this here. They end by saying, and I didn't publish this on the screen, but they ended by saying, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a day. In the New Testament, the Sabbath is not only a day off, which you choose, but also a lifestyle in Christ. So they're saying, the whole purpose of the article is saying, pastors, just pick a day off, and whatever day you pick, that's your Sabbath. That was the purpose of the article. Let me tell you something. I could not pick a day to make it my Sabbath, because I'm not the Lord. I can't sanctify anything. But you wonder why Christians are confused today. But let me reiterate, let me reiterate, the Lord loves these individuals. That's why it's our responsibility to drop the leaflets of truth that men may come out of darkness into this marvelous light. The only way I can make sense about that is when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, as I close. The only way to make sense out of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. The Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Praise the Lord. When you study the word of God, you don't walk away confused. It's clear. Am I right? It's clear. So now, a few words of encouragement to those that may be in the same quandary. Let's see what example the New Testament gave. The followers of Jesus still observe the Sabbath at his death. Here is the reference. Luke 23, verse 55 and 56. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after. And they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. So they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. This is at the death of Jesus. If Jesus intended to get rid of the Sabbath, they would have known it. They're his followers. But not only that, the followers of Jesus still observed the Sabbath after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Here's the proof of that. In the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 42 to 44. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, by the way, Paul and Barnabas were preaching, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Look at what happened in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the what? whole city came together to hear the word of God. On what day did they come together? On the Sabbath. Over and over and over, 60 references in the New Testament continuing to verify and validify and endorse and uphold the Sabbath that Jesus gave to us. What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Here's what Jesus said. Mark 2, verse 27 and 28 and he said, that is, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also what? Lord of the Sabbath. I recently, just this week, subscribed again to Christianity Today. If you don't know about that magazine, you should become a, a subscriber of it. Christianity Today is an interdenominational magazine that periodically has articles about Adventists in there. You'll be surprised how many times they have articles about Seventh-day Adventists in there. But they highlight different denominations. But Harold Lindell, has, he is an evangelical Christian author and scholar, and he's one of the founding members of the Fuller Theological Seminary. In 1976, he wrote a book called The Battle for the Bible. And Christianity Today 
in the November 5th article quoted what he said. And this is all they said. This is what they quoted. It's in the editorial section. This is what Harold Lindsell said. He said, there is nothing in scripture that requires us to keep Sunday rather than Saturday as a holy day. I'll say that again. Can I get an amen? This 1976. He's a contributing author. He's one of the founders of the Fuller Theological Seminary. And he said it. There's nothing in Scripture that requires us to keep Sunday rather than Saturday as a holy day. There's nothing there. These are Christian contributors. And there's the syntax. Christianity Today, November 5, 1976. The year that I graduated from high school. I am not old. I'm just advanced in experience. So when Christians get confused as to the specificity of the Seventh-day Bible Sabbath, I try to make it simple, and I'm going to end with the simple, the most profound reason why the Sabbath should be kept. Are you ready for it? Here it is. I try to say to them, if you, brother, sister, pastor, if you are confused, let me make it very, very simple. If you do what Jesus did, you'll never be left out of heaven. You'll never be left out. What did Jesus do? Luke 4, 16. So when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and did what? stood up to read, and on the Sabbath day, Jesus unfolded from the prophet Isaiah words that led the Jewish hearers to understand his Messiahship. Today, my brother and sister, Jesus is saying to you, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. My appeal to you today as I close this message, are you willing today to respond to the voice of the true shepherd. Are you willing today to say, thank you for opening my eyes to something that was not clear to me. Are you willing today to say, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will bring conviction to my heart? Because I tell you, as, stand, as I stand here today, when Jesus comes, there'll only be two groups. How many did I say? Those who receive the seal of God and those who receive the mark of the beast. I'm praying that by God's grace, you are one of those sheep that are listening for the voice of Jesus. You are praying today saying, Father, lead me and guide me. I've received the letters from around the world and I'm praying that if you are one of those that are saying, but Pastor John, I need a little more information. Our address is very simple. Our address is very simple. Pastor at tvsdac.org. Am I correct, Mike? pastor at tvsdac.org. You send an email, they'll forward it to me, and by God's grace, we will send you what you may need because we've got an appointment. There's a kingdom for you and me to be in together. There's a kingdom for all those that love the Lord to be in. This is not a sermon judging anybody whether they're saved or lost, but Jesus is saying, you are where I don't want you to be. I want you to be where I am in that commandment-keeping church in that church that has a light that will continue to shine brighter until that perfect day. Now my appeal to us, if it is your desire to continue to allow that, sh that light to shine in your life,
Would you stand with me today? You want to be that soldier that's ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. You want to continue to emulate the life of Christ by honoring the Bible Sabbath. You know what that means? As a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, your neighbors are going to watch how you keep the Sabbath, what you do on the Sabbath. Your reference is going to be either a stepping stone or a stumbling block. I pray that you will honor the Sabbath, that people might meet and know the Lord of that Sabbath. Let us pray together. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank you. Your word is clear. Not only is it clear, but learned men, men in positions of leadership, multi-denominational leaders, they are not in the dark and obscurity about what happened in history. But for whatever reason, Lord, the people have not heard. Many sincere Christians are still asking, knocking, seeking, groping, looking, searching. And you said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. So I pray today, Father, another seed has been planted and we will only understand in eternity how powerful and transforming your word is and how beautiful and relevant that even today the observance of your Sabbath is. Bless us to be your children and may the light of your truth and your glory and your character continue to shine that someone else will come out of darkness into this marvelous light. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Friends, God bless you. If you'd like to find out more, go to our website, tvsdac.org. Click on the Sermons tabs, and there's more information. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next Sabbath. Happy Sabbath.